persistence means that you you write every day and you keep working on the thing even even when you are not sure about it even when you don't know if it's going to go anywhere um, and that kind of persistence pays off. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Wendy McClure, who is a book editor. So Wendy was a referral from Sarah Shearger, who was the children's book author that I interviewed. But um, if you recall, Sarah was also a young adult author. So she wrote children's uh, books and young adult novels. So Wendy is in that same arena. She's a book editor for both children's books, so like small picture books for kids, for, for toddlers, and then as well. She edits full-scale novels for young adults, um, which is really the full gamut that you could possibly be editing. And she talks about kind of the difficulties of each and um, and just all the different things that go into being a book editor, which really blew my mind because I I guess I thought that you were just straight up editing the book, like you know, spell checking, helping out here and there. But man, there's so many plates that you have to spin and so many things you have to do as a book editor. So, anyways, without further ado, here is book editor. Wendy, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. You're welcome. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah. So it struck me while I was emailing back and forth with you to set up this interview that editing is kind of a bigger job than I thought it was. I figured it was just editing. I'm like, oh, I, I edit books because I'm a book editor. Why don't you tell us like what you actually do as a book editor and all the ins and outs of the job? Okay, well, you were kind of thinking of editing as the actual task of going over a manuscript and making notes and making changes and making suggestions. And I do do that. Um, but in a way, what I am is kind of more of a project manager for getting a book to publication. And I actually kind of see that through actually all, all the way from the time it's just a manuscript and I'm deciding whether or not to even publish it to uh, the point of publication. And so I will uh, make the offer on the manuscript. I will uh, buy the manuscript, negotiate the contract, and then give a lot of big picture suggestions on how to improve the the story. And then talk about things like title, uh, illustrator cover, and, um, and just kind of, uh, I'm just kind of the coach all throughout the production of the book. Holy crap. You are like a one woman wrecking crew. You just do absolutely <laughs> everything. I can't believe that. Well, I don't do uh, like the marketing. That's another big component. But, um, but from the time, you know, a book is just uh, something on in a Word document into the point that it's a printed book, that's my part. But then after that, then there's a whole other department that, takes over and sells the book. Now, is that really common in the industry for an editor to do as much as you do? Or do you kind of prefer to work at a company that's smaller where you get to do, you know, wear a lot of different hats? In trade publishing, which is the kind of, which is the kind of books that you see in the bookstore, that's usually a pretty good description. Um, I'm an acquiring editor, which means I acquire the books 
and then also work on them. But maybe at some bigger houses, you might have someone who just buys the book and then someone else who just works on them. But I think at, at, even at most places, even at the big places like Penguin, Random House, and HarperCollins, it works this way. Okay, cool. So, all right. Um, as I assume I'm already going to have mentioned in the little intro piece <laughs> that I do, you do editing for both young adult novels and books for children. So yeah. that makes you a really interesting person to interview because as far as I'm concerned, the editing for, and maybe you could tell me why this wouldn't be the case, but as far as I'm concerned, the uh, editing for a young adult novel would be very similar to editing for an adult novel. And editing for a children's book would be wildly different from the other two, like much more different than a young adult novel is from an adult novel would be a children's book from the other two. Would that be a correct assumption? Yeah, you're right. Editing a picture book, it's a whole other game because there's a lot more moving parts because you are working with not only the the picture book text, but you're also working with it. So you're working with an author and you're also working with an illustrator and then the illustrator is also working with an art an art director and then sometimes you even have another person a designer so you have all these different uh work schedules that you're working around and you're kind of creating something new because you start out with just uh, a story and then you're actually you know giving helping give it illustrations and there's so many more things that sort of come together when you're doing a picture book. Um, so, and you're, and you're working with so many other people. I love this. It's so funny. Like, this is why I'm so happy to talk to you. It's just like, um, when we had Sarah Sheerger on and she was, you know, it's like (laughs) making a children's book is so much more difficult than people would think. And then I love hearing you talk about like, Oh, well, editing a children's book is more difficult than (laughs) editing a regular book because there's so many more moving pieces. So why don't we first start by talking about the similarities between editing a children's book and a, a a book for young adults like just a regular novel and then we can talk about some of the ways that they're different like where do they overlap what are like the principles that you need to bring into both when you're editing well in both cases you want the story to be clear and you you want it to be you know fun and engaging and hopefully when you are buying the manuscript in the first place it's it's doing all that but you want to make sure that it is the best it can be um so both those things are the same with both uh picture books and young adult. How about when thinking about, like I imagine a large part as an editor would be, I guess, making sure that the voice is like appropriate and consistent and stuff, or, or is that not that much of a concern? Like that you kind of assume the author's already done that. Well, no, you, that's something that you definitely look at. Um, and I think it's probably more of a challenge in a much longer work, like a young adult novel, where there's where you're dealing with something that's you know 200 manuscript pages, and it was written over a long period of time. Um, a picture book is a lot tighter, um, but you know you can still find um, inconsistencies too. But if you, have, I think sometimes you have to look harder for those, just because you're looking at something that's so much more precise yeah yeah definitely so talk about uh like when you're working on these children's books and you're working with the illustrator and like a creative director and stuff like that do you have any sway on how this art is getting done and and like the final outcome on that side or is that are you kind of not allowed to to touch that oh no i i we all sort of have a little bit of input on it it's about different things um i tend to 
look at the illustrations and I tend to sort of represent the, the author's interests when I'm looking at, at the artwork. Say I am working on a children's book that's set in Texas and there's a certain kind of cactus that artists like to draw all the time, but it doesn't actually appear in Texas. Yeah, um, everyone wants to draw the saguaro, and those are like yeah. only in Arizona, basically. Yeah, yeah. And um, so the, the author, who um, probably is from Texas, if they're writing this story, <laughs> um, they they will want to be sure that the artist doesn't go ahead and, and draw one of those um those punk, you know, cacti. <laughs> yeah, for sure. See, that must there must have been no one like you back in my day when I was a kid because when I was a kid, all the kids just grew up drawing saguaros and it's because <laughs> probably all of our children's book only had saguaros in them. I didn't know that there were other type of cacti, you know? Right, right. Yeah. But then if right, and if if the um but then if the art director is doing his or her job, that person will probably do some research as well and and give the illustrator some visual references about the right kinds of cacti to draw. Yeah. Talk about some of like the most difficult aspects to editing a children's book. I think sometimes when you've got a really difficult problem and you're not sure how to solve it and the author doesn't quite know how to solve it either and you keep giving suggestions and the author doesn't quite know what to do either. Um, but you just have sort of have to keep pushing in, in that case. And wow, that's um, really interesting. I didn't even think about that. That, yeah. yeah, sometimes it's not like, Oh, this is what you should do to make it better. It's just like, I know right now it's not quite right and it doesn't quite feel right, but I don't know what the right thing will be. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it, a lot of it is about communication and figuring out what a writer needs in order to make something better. Do you ever, either on um, children's or young adult books, do you ever kind of second guess what you're doing? Like, are you ever in the editing process and being like, am I actually making this better? Like, is this book worse now? Or like, am I helping right now? What's going on? Well, sometimes I worry there are times when I'm writing an editorial letter and that's the, that's the big letter that you, that you first write in the beginning of the production process. That's laying out all your suggestions. And sometimes I will write that all out and be like, Oh, Oh no. Am I, am I, am I being too hard on this person or, you know, uh, really overwhelming them? And, you know, is this the right direction? And, so I'll I'll worry about that, and usually one of two things happens: um, either the uh, author will come back, and it'll be great, and we'll be like, "Oh, you know, you know, I had to, you know, I had to think about this for a few days, but I think you know you're really right," and then they really roll with it, and it's great, and you realize like, "Okay, now I was, you know, that was fine." Yeah, that's nice. Right? Yeah. Or they come back and they say, "Well, you know, I really don't want to change this," and then you have to go back and. Um, and then both, you know, sort of sit down and figure out something. And that's, I mean, that's still, you know, there's still a way to get there from here. Yeah. Or it's just hard. I mean, it's interesting. Like I, I had an experience where I was trying to get something designed for my business and I was working with the designer back and forth and back and forth. And he, you know, he wanted my input as much as possible, which is nice. And it's like, there was so many times where I would give, I, I would give my input and be like, oh, I think, I think maybe we, if we tried this, like I would like it more. Like, let's try that. 
and he would do it and it would just be worse, you know? And I'd be like, oh, I'm an idiot. Like, I'm so sorry that I even took your time, you know? Like, let's go yeah. back to what it was before. And then he's like, okay, like, what other suggestions do you have? And I'd make another one. I'd be like, oh, my God, I made it worse again. Like, it's it's not it's not just as, like, black and white as, like, that is absolutely going to make this thing better. Like, you can't know if it's going to make it better until it's actually done, until it's actually changed, you know? And I will say sometimes it's hard when an author doesn't like the artwork. And, and you realize it's, it's, it's one of those things that maybe they're, they're never going to like it or, or they're, they're going to come around to it much later when you're not around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and all you have, y'all, all you can really do is, is just sort of listen and, um, and then be as diplomatic as you can be. Yeah, I would imagine. Let's talk about the young adult side. So just like yeah. more a typical novel. What are some of the most difficult aspects on that end? Actually, in that, I think it's just kind of the workload because you've got big, long manuscripts and um, I'm usually juggling sort of several uh, projects um, at the same time. And so you're having to take time and really really read and really get into things. And so taking something, a big kind of sprawling work and, and then just sort of condensing it all to um, a list of suggestions that you think are going to help. Yeah, for sure. And trying yeah. to remember if you're a suggest, I imagine like with something that long, trying to uh, keep in mind, like how relevant a suggestion might be like in the scope of the entire book. Right, um, right. I tend to th- go in sort of layers. You you give the big picture things first, and then as you as you go work along more and more, then you start to point out the little tiny nitpicky things. Um, okay. And as you sort of get get closer and closer and get more more comfortable. How many books are you working on at once? Let me see. Let me think about this right now. Um, let's see. One. I'm actually working them on about 10 right now. Oh man, that's crazy. (laughs) They're in different stages of production and some things are like, Oh, they're fine. And the other things I'm, I'm a little worried about Um, other things. I'm just about to hand off to production, which means other more specialized editors look at them and they start to do things like do the copy edits and uh, the proofreading where they do things like the more technical stuff, like correcting the grammar and then later making sure there aren't typos. Okay. So you have to do, that was something I wanted to talk about later is like, if you feel like it's more of a, um, like an engineering, like procedural type of job, or if it's like a much more creative type of job. So there are other people that do the more engineering procedural type of stuff. Like you are really supposed to do the creative type of stuff. Right. Although I don't know if I would necessarily call it creative. I would call it more problem solving. Right. And I think it's it's creative in as much as problem solving is creative because I mean it's not yours. It's it's the it's the authors. It's their creative work. So what you are trying to sort of do is make sure that they are making this the best expression of what this book is supposed to be. And so you are kind of you're trying to actually sort of pave the way for creativity and just trying to create opportunities for that to happen. Yeah. You know, even, even in a book that, you 
know, is really good. And maybe you can see ways that it can be better. Yeah, definitely. So I want to move on in a second to the other aspects of the job. Um, but yeah. before we do that, I know that you write as well. Um, oh, yeah. How has being an editor and like having the eye of an editor impacted the way that you write your own books? In some ways, it's made me more aware of things in a way that's both good and bad. But I have really learned to turn that editor side off. And when I'm writing, I mean, when you're when you are just drafting things, you can't I can't have that that same part of my brain on. Mm, that's a good point. Otherwise, it would take you like 20 years to write one book. Right, right. Um, I have had my editors say that my stuff is pretty polished because I I work on things. And I think to a degree, I, I might revise more than some people because that is actually sort of how I, I tend to engage with a story. I, I, I think maybe working out and polishing it is one way that I can see it better. That's how I work through it. Um, whereas someone who might be um, more of a writer and less of an editor, maybe, you know, they do a lot more of their, their brainstorming just by drafting. Do you think that you're more open to working with your editors because you are one or that you are more like, how dare you tell me? <laughs> because I'm an editor. So I think I know what's best. Well, I kind of steal tricks from them. I mean, especially when I get editorial letters from them and I see about the way they might have made a suggestion or just even like a certain phrase that they use. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to borrow that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Because I mean, talking about work is hard and, you know, there's only so many ways you can say that sentence isn't working and, you know, you have to do something else. Um, Actually, no, there's, it's not, it's not that there's so many ways, there's millions of ways to say that. But um, if someone uh, comes up with a, with a really, really good way to, uh, to ask someone to change something, then I'm going to borrow that. Yeah. You're not just like, I'm going to be real with you right now. That's a bad sentence right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to be tactful. So, um, so I, I tend to, uh, learn from my editors as well, but it sounds like it, you don't take offense to the advice that they have to give you. Right. Um, but it's funny because there's still things that you're not prepared for um, in the whole book process. And, 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 you know, you always tell yourself, oh, I'm not going to be like, you know, um, I'm not going to get upset. And, you know, um, when I don't like my cover or something like that, and I'm not going to be like this writer who, you know, I, I could tell wrote a, you know, sad email at, you know, two in the morning and they were really upset about something. And then you, you know, then your, your own book is being worked on and you find yourself writing a sad email at two in the morning and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. It's so hard. It's um I mean it's like you I mean you're working on 10 books at once and for the other person it's like, well this is probably the only book I'm going to release in the next like 3 or 4 years or something, you know? Right. So it's uh obviously a lot more meaningful for them. Um yeah, it's uh yeah. it's an interesting interesting relationship. Yeah, I mean it's definitely helped being an author has helped me be a lot more um have a lot more empathy for my authors as well. I bet. And so it's, you know, I, I, I feel like I, I try to be a really good coach and, and I can understand when they're, when they're stuck and I will talk to them a lot about, about process. So let's talk more about the other part of your job. And I am like really excited to learn about this because I still have not yet had a, um, like a record 
executive on the uh, on the podcast <laughs> or anything. And so when we were talking back and forth um, uh, on email, I'm just going to go ahead and like break the fourth wall here really quick for oh, the yeah. uh, for the listeners. So every now and then, if there is a job or a hobby where I'm going to interview somebody and I know so little about what that job or hobby is like, I go ahead and send an email to the person that I'm going to be interviewing um, and I say, hey, is there anything that you think that maybe I like wouldn't even know to ask because I'm an idiot? And so something that you wrote to me is a significant part of my job isn't just hands-on editing. It's also acquiring, buying books. Um, from writers and literary agents. I have over 200 submissions in my inbox right now that I haven't read yet that have come in since January. So in the past like four months, you've had 200 people send you new books. I have, can only imagine how many sent you books over the course of last year. Yeah. How do you decide like what you're opening, what you're reading? How does somebody actually get anything in front of you? I, I, I just don't even know how the world works anymore. Actually, it's more than 200 that I've gotten because some of those I've actually read. <laughs> those are only two <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> that I haven't read. Oh, good question. Um, well, first of all, I mean, this is, this is kind of the case for, for any editor. I mean, you, you look at everything, but you can't read everything all the way through. And a lot of things will come from literary agents and those tend to be, I tend to look at those first because uh, literary agents are, they vet the manuscripts for you. So um, if uh, chances are you have a relationship with, with an agent, they have a, some sort of sense of what you want and what you're publishing. But, um, but the fact is that there are lots and lots and lots of people out there who want to get a children's book published and we only publish a very, very small percentage of those. Um, so yeah, it's a hard fact. For, all right. First of all, before before I delve more into this, and I want to like break this apart some more. Yeah. I just want to ask, like, is it weird being you? Then I like I always wonder that about people like you. Like, is it weird being you to have all that power? Like, I think about that. Like, with producers in Hollywood or this, you know, people that get all these people like writing and like, oh, talk to me, talk to me. Uh, is that strange? Well. I don't really think of it as power. Um, I could see from a an aspiring writer's point of view, it might seem like power, but it's really just, it's all just relationships. It's all just a business relationship that you're looking at. And I kind of think it's like, it's just like anything else. It's like, um, essentially, I'm sort of shopping. Um, I'm looking for something that's right for my company and that I think I can I can do something with and make a successful book, and it's it's kind of the same thing as when you know you're you're anywhere you know, like you know you're at the store shopping for a shirt, and you know it's like saying you have power over all the shirts in the store, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I guess that's very true. And, well, and to the point about being at the store, how you said about opening up the emails from the literary agents first, it's like we all have stores that we go to. Um, or for like a lot of people nowadays, like me, we don't have any stores that we go to, but we have like our websites that we go to, to purchase things, you know, and there yet there's probably a billion other websites that would like us to be shopping with them instead. But it's just like, well, these are kind of my sites, you know, like I trust them that they're going to have good products. So that makes sense that you would go to the literary agents first. How often do you get to delve into the, the rest of the stuff, like open up some stuff that's not from an agent? 
Well, sometimes when I speak at a children's writers conference, um, I will uh, open up, have an open submissions period where people at that conference are free to submit to me for a limited period of time. So then I will see stuff from people who don't necessarily have literary agents. And then we still have a slush pile. Um, I think maybe Sarah talked about that a little bit. Um, and that is the just the general pile of people who don't have agents and they're sending stuff. And I don't go into that pile very often anymore. Um, I spent a long time when I was um, an up-and-coming editor going through that pile. And you can learn a lot by reading those manuscripts. But not only does it have stuff by people who have potential and talent, but there's also a lot of stuff by people who will only ever... You know, it's people who had a funny rhyming Christmas card that they put pictures to it. And then their friend said, oh, you should try to get that published. So <laughs> they put it in an envelope and they send it off. Or it's it's someone who um, has their very first uh, children's book idea and they don't know the industry yet. So they write it down and they send it. So it's a lot of people who, you know, they may not go anywhere. They're just starting out and they kind of have to go through that on their own time and, and kind of figure out on their own. But uh, when you go through that stuff, it's, it's not like there's the thing about going through the slush pile is that it's not time efficient I'm if I spend a lot of time reading that, I'm spending my time on things that that I'm not going to publish. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's the type of thing where it's a lot of people that maybe they had like one idea like, "Oh, mm-hmm. I'm just going to write this book. It'd be cool if it got published or whatever." But their thought isn't like I am going to do anything to become a writer. Like I want right. to be a writer so bad or I want to be a children's author. Um, I like an analogy to that, I guess would be in the podcast industry. I know the stats are, it's something like the average podcast has eight episodes before they then fold up and just have no, you know, that's it. And then they quit. And it's like, you know, they were sitting around the room one day. They're like, Oh, it'll be cool to make a pot. And then like after eight episodes, they're like, yeah, it's kind of like more work than it's really worth. Never mind. And obviously, and, but if there was an agent for podcasters or whatever, all of the podcasters in those first eight weeks when they were releasing their eight episodes would be hitting up those agents. But the mm. agents kind of need the people that are going to, they truly do want to make a job out of something. You right. know, that this isn't some like fleeting desire um, that someone has. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, you get it. So. <laughs> Nothing wrong with fleet. I mean, I got so many fleeting desires in my life, but, you know, my podcast isn't one of them. But, yeah, so I, uh, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, and I definitely understand these people too. I mean, a lot of people, it's their, it's their, people have dreams. And, you know, some people, they have, they have dreams, you know, oh, I'd love to write a children's book someday. Or, you know, oh, I'd love to open a bakery someday, you know. Writing a children's book, you know, is a lot easier than, you know, doing something like opening a bakery. So a lot of people are going to try it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, a lot less capital needed, certainly. Yeah. All right, so let's try to give advice to two groups of people then. So first, let's stick on this topic and give advice to writers. So if you are a writer of any type of book, what advice would you give them to to get your attention? Well, I would say 
getting my attention is only part of it. Being being a good writer is most of it. Actually, what drives me nuts is that I feel like a lot of people are maybe too focused on getting my attention when they should really be focused on just just writing and just working and and that you know persistence means that you you write every day and you keep working on the thing even even when you are not sure about it even when you don't know if it's going to go anywhere um, and that kind of persistence pays off. Um, the kind of persistence where, you know, maybe you, you send me a hundred things in a year that doesn't necessarily pay off. <laughs> yeah. I love hearing that because it, 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 it rings true and consistent with what so many like professionals in other industries say. Yeah. Um, and there's so many people nowadays, uh, that feel like they have to, spend so much time marketing on social media and, and doing this and that and all these other things that take them away from doing their actual work, you know? Yeah. And, and again, like, there's nothing wrong with that because it's like, that is almost like this, this message being pushed by everyone and everything right now is like, yeah, but like how many followers do you have and what's going on with this and what's going on with that. And meanwhile, unfortunately people don't get to just spend their time like honing their craft. Right. Um, and yet everyone that I talk to that is has any sort of role like you with any sort of say in it whatsoever, they're like, yeah, 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 screw all that. Just hone your craft. Like You need yeah. to get really good at doing your thing. And if you get really good at doing your thing, trust me, it will turn out okay for you. I know yeah. that you want to think that the way that things will turn out okay or like that it, you, know, you have to have a bunch of followers. Otherwise, how could it ever turn out okay mm-hmm. or whatever? But um it is a it is a cart before the horse type of thing, you know. Oh, you yeah. need to uh, you need to have the work first. And also, I think it really there's a lot to be said for really reading in the the, the genre and the categories that you write in, and read what's out there. Read, you know, you have to know the market. That definitely helps. But also, you know, the more you read, the more you really sort of find yourself. And find the kind of work that you should be doing. Man, you maybe want to start reading right now. I love that. <laughs> uh, so, all right, let's go ahead and leave off with the last piece of advice then of uh, people looking to get into your field, into what you do. If somebody wanted to become a book editor, what advice would you give them? It's a really interesting conversation right now across the whole children's book industry because there's a there's a big conversation about uh, diversity in children's books and you know, the idea that, um, or the problem of, um, people of color and, uh, people of different backgrounds and, um, gay and lesbian disability not being represented enough in, in children's books. Mm -hmm. And, and then realizing that by extension, that's because there's not enough diversity in, uh, children's publishing, you know, um, you know, in the editorial boards and, and, people working for publishing companies. There's not enough diversity with uh, the employees. And, um, and then part of that, um, I'm, I know I'm talking on a tangent here, but I think it's really interesting. No, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, and, um, and part of that has to do a little bit with how traditionally publishing, at least New York publishing. Um, and I'm going to say, actually, I'm not actually the Albert Whitman and company is in, Chicago. So, um, I'm sort of not part of that, but it's interesting to 
think about. Um, traditionally, the way to get a job in publishing um, in New York is to start out as an unpaid intern. And so you're living in New York and you're working for next to nothing and you're an intern and then eventually you become an editorial assistant and you work your way up. But now there's there's a big conversation about that, you know, privileging only certain types of people, um, namely um, people... Whose families can already support them anyway. Right, yeah. So... Um, so there's there's a lot of talk now about um, about different ways to um, to to get into this line of work, um, and I think part of it is is um, is to think about publishing beyond New York City. Um, so you know, it's funny when people ask me this advice. I mean, I used to say like, "Well, you got to go to New York, really," <laughs> um, and um, but it really helps to be an all around book nerd. Um, you need to appreciate the art of books, but also the business of books. And there are a lot of people who sort of are into one and not the other. Um, I know whenever there's a, a job opening at my company, I hear from a lot of people who think it's going to be just a nice bookish job, but they aren't thinking about the business aspect of it. Hmm. Um, but um what's well, something for them to think about in that regard like like how do you even get your feet wet or like what how yeah. do you know if that's something you'd be into yeah well um you got to become are... an unpaid intern <laughs> i know that's actually the first um i guess my advice is is be prepared to kind of start at the bottom with an with a sort of a basic apprenticeship hopefully not an unpaid internship <laughs> Yeah, it's but, something that the it sounds like the industry is like really looking at and trying to change right now. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, there is definitely a lot of reflection on that right now. Wendy, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey everyone, it's Blake. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I wonder how I could help Blake out. First of all, you are probably the nicest person in the entire world. Secondly, all you have to do is just tell a friend about the show. I would really appreciate it. If you're sitting there and thinking, man, my job is really interesting, or man, I do this totally badass hobby, I should totally be on this show, then you totally should be on the show. Just reach out to me on halfhourintern.com, my website. You can email me through there. And uh, if there is another job or hobby that you don't do, but you just want to hear about it, you can submit any sort of idea through the Submit Your Ideas link on the page. Thanks again for listening. Take care.